So, hey, uh, we're in a great place in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters, Paul has laid down a strong doctrinal base, teaching us about who we are as God's people. And the whole theme has been about unity. Chapter 1, he talked about how God established unity between himself and us. A holy God and a fallen people, how in the world could those two find common ground? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that God planned to have a relationship with us before he created us, before he created the world. That Jesus came and paid the penalty for our sins so that we could have that relationship. And then after he left the earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to help us process this relationship so that we can live in harmony with God. And then because that whole first chapter is sort of confusing, Paul ended that first chapter with a, a, a beautiful prayer that we would have the capacity to comprehend what God is doing and is doing in our lives. And then chapter 2, he talked about how God brought unity between the second two most diverse beings you could imagine, the Jew and the Gentile. And then as he unfolded that chapter, we begin to see that he's using the term Jew and Gentile almost metaphorically because it's not just Jews and Gentiles, it's anybody, everybody, regardless of culture, age, ideology. Everybody is welcome to come into this family of God. And then chapter 3, Paul said, I am so excited about what God is doing in the world. I've given my whole life to building this thing called the church. And he stomped around the Roman world planting churches. What a beautiful picture. And, and so as we understand that this whole purpose of God is to build unity in this group of people called the church, some out of various cultures, but what brings us together is our common life in Christ. Then in chapter 4, Paul switched things. He goes from doctrine to practice. He said, now that you understand who you are, let's put some shoe leather, leather on that. So what that you're a Christian? Is that any big deal? And Paul said, I think so. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're just going to be looking at the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4, because this is the axle on which the whole book of Ephesians turns. Chapters 1 through, th one through 3, God teaches us how he established unity, and then in chapters 4 through 6, he talks us, teaches us how this unity thing works, how it works in the church, how it works in the family, how it works in various relationships, how to repair it when it breaks, because it does. And, and so this whole concept, this whole idea of us being one people in God is so important to Paul that this whole book of Ephesians is pretty much devoted to that theme. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 4, let me read it to you. Paul wrote, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance or acceptance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, in this paragraph, as Paul, he opened it with a, he used the, the word is translated, I, I, uh, which, what, which one is it? Implore you. And that word implore is sort of halfway between a command and a plea. It's a little softer than, than an imperative and saying, I'm telling you to do this, but it's a lot stronger than just a suggestion. 
I implore you, I urge you, I plead with you to do two things, because there are two infinitives in this paragraph, two things specifically that he's asking us to do. I implore you, as the prisoner of the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I implore you to live this life that I have just spent three chapters explaining to you. There's a story about Princess Anne, her first public speaking. And she was sitting next to her mother, Queen Elizabeth, and the MC introduced Princess Anne. And as she was starting to get up, her mother, Queen Elizabeth, leaned over and said, You are a princess. Walk like one. And Paul says here, I implore you as a prisoner of the Lord, you are a Christian. Walk like one. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then we go to verse 3, and there is a second infinitive. The second infinitive is to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the first thing he said, I want you to measure up, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we put those two infinitives together. We say the big idea of this passage is we only walk worthy of our calling as Christians when we walk together. Paul calls us to measure up, and the way we measure up is to preserve this unity that the Holy Spirit has built into the church. You say, well, that sounds pretty easy. Well, Paul said, no, it really isn't. So he connected these two infinitives, these two things he's urging, imploring, almost commanding us to do, to walk worthy of our calling and to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He put five elements, five commands, suggestions in there about how, how can we measure up to our Christian life by preserving unity in the family, in the church, as friends, as co-workers. How do we do that? Well, Paul says to pull that off, there are five things that are essential. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility, with all gentleness, with all patience, with all forbearance, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So Paul says if you're going to pull this off, these five things are essential. So if we look at humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, diligence. What does each mean and what does each contribute to us being able to preserve unity in our families, in our churches, in our friendships, in our workplaces? How do we pull that off? Well, the first thing is humility. Humility. And, and as I read the commentaries, it seems over and over again they talk about humility being making yourself less than you are. And I, no. 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 Paul said in Romans 12, I urge you to, uh, to uh, not, no man think more highly of himself than it is necessary to think, but to think. So as to have sound judgment. Because God has allotted to each of us a measure of faith. 
So Paul said, now don't get carried away with this. Don't think more highly of yourself than it's necessary to think, but do think. Because you are gifted. Because you are incredible people. And humility doesn't say, well, oh, shucks, I'm not that good. Yeah, you are. You really are. Some of you are better some things than, than others. Uh, I got some lesson on this a while back. I, I, I think God has given me a gift of teaching. And, and, I, I, and I was always kind of, oh, shucks about that. And, and there was one time in a church where it seemed to go well, and people were after this, oh, that was so great. And I said, oh, no, it wasn't all that good. And, and it kept trying to deflect it. And Jeanette leaned over and said, I think the words you're searching for are thank you. Because <laughs> the more I deflected it, the more they came back. Oh, yeah, it really was good. So shut up. You are okay. So we don't be humble by demeaning ourselves. That's dishonoring the God who created you. We become humble by recognizing that other people are just as good as we are. I don't. Be humble by making myself less than I am. I experience humility by recognizing what you have to offer. By appreciating you. By seeing myself in perspective. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but do think. Jesus said, I am humble. I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the Jesus who said, I'm the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the Son of God. I came to save the world from sin. How humble does that sound? <laughs> you know, that sounds almost arrogant. Except it's true. So Jesus was very humble, but he never demeaned himself, ever. So don't think of being humble as making yourself less than you are. Be who God created you to be, but recognize that as great as God has made you, you're surrounded by other great people and learn from them and appreciate them and compliment them. So that's humility, humility. Second is gentleness, gentleness. Now some of us have a bit more problem with us. You, you never see Richard back there in that booth, but Richard is one of the most gentle people, isn't he? Richard Lang, who came in here, we got a new server going, and everybody's computers, and we need new passwords, and all that kind of stuff. Some of us are running around here with our hair on fire. I need my password. Richard's going from office to office very gently, very kindly, saying, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. Dear, gentle Richard, we need more people who are gentle. That's not my spiritual gift, as you will uh, <laughs> see. Uh, Lo and Nida, in their Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, define the word this way. It's gentleness of attitude and behavior in contrast with harshness in one's dealings with others. In a number of languages, they wrote, gentleness is often expressed as a negation of harshness. So that gentleness may often be rendered as not being harsh with people. Gentleness. Gentleness. Paul wrote to Timothy about the false teachers there in the church in Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor. And he described some of the things these false teachers were doing. And he said, but flee from these things, Timothy. Don't get in, involved in that. You, man of God, 
Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. So after he told him to be gentle, he said, fight the good fight of faith. Don't let these false teachers run over you, but do it in a gentle way. And just as Jesus said, I am humble in, in, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle. When Jesus was with children, when he was dealing with the sick, dealing with the hurting, dealing with the wretched sinners, the real people who thought their life was totally trashed, he was gentle with them. But he never backed down from the Pharisees. He stood his ground. Chapter 23 of Matthew, he told them what he thought of them because they needed to hear it. Gentle isn't weak. Gentle is strength controlled. Now, I had an experience Thursday morning. I didn't sleep well Wednesday night. I was kind of grumpy. I get that way periodically. And I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers, one of my colleagues in my office, and I was not very gentle. I wasn't gentle in what I said, and I wasn't gentle in how I said it. And she turned around and walked out of my office. And then being the godly man, I said, well, there's a mature way to handle it. And she said, this is maturity. I need a minute. So I sat down at my desk, and I thought, man, I blew that one. What now? Now, she had some choices. She could have gone to her office and stewed and got mad, thought about what a miserable creep I am. Or she could have come back in and gave me just what I gave her. Or she could have gone out office to office and said, do you know what that hypocritical preacher just did to me? Or she could have pulled out a switchblade and got out and slashed my tires. Less than a minute later, she came back. And in a very gentle way, told me that I was a moron. <laughs> she didn't use that word. You see, what she did is go to the next thing Paul said. He said, you're going to need humility. And you're going to need gentleness but you're human, and you're not always going to do those good things. So you need patience, patience. This word patience is a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. My friend came back into my office and gently and patiently served me. One of my favorite Proverbs, because I need it so much, is Proverbs 19.11. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. So as my friend, and as we scan the options of what we can do when somebody hurts us, when somebody insults us, when somebody sins against us,
all kinds of different things we can do. You know what wisdom tells us according to this proverb? A person's wisdom yields patience. She chose patience. And then the second line of that proverb says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's honor to overlook an offense. Yeah, you hurt me. Yeah, you're an idiot. But I'm not going to get down there and wallow in that with you. I'm going to try to help you. Humility, gentleness, patience. Later that day, we had a big decision to make. She saw it differently than I did. I had some ideas. She had some ideas. We talked about ideas humbly, gently, patiently. And those two ideas came together, and we came up with a solution that was better than either one of us would have been able to come up with alone. That's the body of Christ at work. But the only way it works is if we do so with humility and gentleness and patience. Patience. Thank you, Sarah. You taught me well. I appreciate it. Showing tolerance. So it's humility, gentleness, patience. This next one, showing tolerance. Showing tolerance. This word, anechamai, means to be patient, to put up with, to endure, to bear, to accept. <laughs> now, what's the difference between patience and endurance? Or I like the word acceptance better than, than tolerance. Acceptance better than tolerance. Tolerance, you've seen the bumper sticker with all little religious symbols, and it says tolerance. Tolerance says, I don't agree with you, but I'll put up with you. Except it says, we don't agree, but I'm going to love you anyway. The difference between acceptance and tolerance, uh, between patience and this tolerant acceptance. Patience says, you aggravate me. But I know you're growing. And I know as we talk about this, you will grow beyond this. You will become different with that counterproductive behavior. I am patient with you. Tolerance or acceptance says you ain't never going to change. But I'm going to love you anyway. That occurs in a lot of small ways. God created us differently. He, some of us are introverts and some of us are extroverts. An introvert goes to a party with their spouse who's an extrovert. After you've been there 30 minutes, you're saying, is it time to go home yet? The extroverts, you just get warmed up. Now, we can move toward the middle a little bit, but to ask a person to stop being who you are, instead of saying acceptance, tolerance, in love, I will live with that. You have the, the process-oriented person and the goal-oriented person. That was Jeanette and me on a road trip. I'm driving. Kids are in the back seat. Don't drink too much of that water because we ain't stopping until we need gas. <laughs> Jeanette's saying, oh, there's a nice scenic overlook. Oh, there's a place we could have stopped to get something to drink. 
We ain't stopping, baby. And she's driving, and I'm saying, why are we stopping? Well, there's a historical marker here. I'd like the boys to see it. Come on. <laughs> Education? We got to get where we're going. Some of us are driven. Some of us don't see the flowers along the way. These are differences that we have to live with. We can laugh about them. And we can change. We can move. We can move toward the middle. But to ask somebody to stop being who they are instead of saying, I'm going to love you anyway. But some of these are a bit more serious. These things we need to tolerate. Janet and I had a friend named David. David was in his 30s. Very troubled man. Very good man. Loved David. Great guy. But he had some deep issues. His dad played for the Boston Red Sox. A real macho athlete kind of guy. And, and his parents had two kids, a, a daughter and a son. And David uh, was his dad's prize, this little guy growing up. Took him to Little League. David hated it. Took him to Pop Warner football. David hated it. You know what David's favorite thing to do was? To go to the fabric store and design and make a dress for his mother. To go get a bunch of flowers and make beautiful flower arrangements. He was a beautiful human being. But he was troubled because his father despised him and let him know it. He could not, would not tolerate that his son wasn't an athlete. Pretty much destroyed this young man. David lived... He died of AIDS eventually, but he lived a tortured life, a double life. A member of Jeanette's extended family, young girl, came into junior high, came in to be a junior in high school and decided God didn't create her as a girl, created her as a boy. Some deep, deep struggles. Lived in a very conservative evangelical Christian home. Her church rejected her. Her family rejected her. She went to live with her grandmother. She called Jeanette and said, could I, spring break, could I just come and be loved by you? And Jeanette said, of course. So this young person was coming to live with us, and I said to Jeanette, what do we say to her? I, him. I. So Jeanette did some research, and she found this book called Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon. It's a book that talks about, it says, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity, a book everyone should read, and there's no one who wouldn't be a more imaginative and understanding parent or human being for having done so. And these are chapters on uh, kids who don't fit our family. Some deeply troubled kids, and some kids who aren't necessarily deeply troubled, but... People who have kids that embarrass them. Kids where they feel like they almost want to say, we're good people, we're smart people. This child is not a reflection on us. It's the kid, the parents of the kid, the autistic kid who's making the noises in the airplane that's aggravating. 
They don't know what to do with it. They love the kid, but they're troubled by the kid. Jeanette and I read this book chapter by chapter. We'd read a chapter a week, some of them two or three weeks, and we'd sit and talk about it. How do you help people who can't tolerate their own children and really want to? And how do you tolerate that coworker who drives you crazy? Or that parent who you just wish would die? Or that spouse who you say, why did I marry this creep? Some of you know people like that. So Paul said, Jesus has done an amazing thing in your life. He's made you part of his family. In fact, as you see this, this idea of walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, he tells us what that calling is. He said, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So when Paul says, I implore you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, that's part of that calling. To establish, to bring unity. The church, chapter 2, verse 15, or actually 14 through 18. God himself, Jesus himself is our peace, who made the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one by bringing them into the church and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, those things that we judge each other by and hold each other to, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility. We've been called to peace. We've been called to unity. In our churches, in our families, in our workplaces. Even working with people we find almost intolerable. People who aren't gentle. People who aren't humble. People who are just flat obnoxious. Takes humility. Gentleness. Patience. Tolerance. Then the last one, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Maintaining unity, I don't know if you've discovered this. Maybe it's just us more obnoxious people who do this. Keeping unity with people is like walking on a tightrope. It's a whole lot easier to fall off than it is to stay on. Paul says, if you're going to pull this off, if you're going to walk worthy of your calling by walking together, you have to be diligent at it. Because some days you'll come to the office and find people like me. And you're going to have to forgive them. 
And you're going to have to be patient with them. You may even have to love them after they've hurt your feelings, done bad stuff to you. Pretty important little section of the Bible, isn't it? There's a lot of high-sounding, beautiful-sounding theology. Paul said this theology is the foundation for the way you live your life. I implore you, I beg you, I plead with you, I almost command you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace.